We're going to get into this. and uh, Matthew 7 is where I'm going to go before we pray. I want to read two scriptures, and then we're going to pray about this. Matthew 7, uh, verse 21 and 23 says, uh, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter of the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So these are people who thought they knew Jesus. These are people who are out doing ministry work. These are people who are proclaiming the name of Christ. They make it to heaven. It says, away from me, you evildoers. I don't know you. That scares me. These kind of things scare me. Then Luke 13, uh, 23 through 27 says, Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. And I think that's interesting. He didn't say they will be. He's telling them you will be on the outside pleading. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. And they will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. These are people who have fellowship. Around it. These are people who have, I'll put it in a, a, low, a, a more modern time, these are people who were going to church. These are people who have been at his teachings. These are people who were in his presence. These are people who were around his presence, that were around. Yet he says, I never knew you or where you're from. Showed up to where I was at, but you never invited me. That's what he's saying to me. That scares me. Because there's lots of times I think we do this. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Does God know where we live? Does he know who we are? Are we people who go to church, or are we people who are in God's presence? Uh, I'm going to pray. And Ryan, the, the title of this is going to be The Way. Got that? The Way. Thank you, buddy. Uh, so let's pray, because there's no way, like I said, I can do this. Uh, I can mess it up. And I might even be able to teach you something and convince you of what I'm saying. But if I can convince you of this, you can easily be convinced something different afterwards. So we need the revelation of Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to convince us and to just show us what he's trying to teach us. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you would just bring us here, that your presence shows up, that we get to, to worship you, and you love us enough to speak to us. Right now, Lord, I pray that... Uh, 
that you would speak to us, that you begin to reveal your word to us, God, that your message would sink into our hearts. Father God, I pray that I would be out of your way, that I would die to your message. I pray our hearts would be open to hear what you say, Lord. I pray that we would understand that that what we receive out of this message is not from me first, Lord, and it's also not something to be forgotten, Lord, but it's something you're going to try to change our lives with, Lord. It's something we should carry with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It, uh, one thing I've noticed over the years, and I do it, so it's not a, a, a pointing out of somebody else doing this, but I do it. And, uh, oftentimes we come to church on a Sunday morning and there's an amazing message and we're like, Pastor Chad brought it. He did it, man. That was a great word. And we leave. Monday morning we wake up and we never think about it again. But somebody could say, like, how was your church service? You'd be like, oh, it was great. The pastor brought a great word. He did a good job. And we move on. Or maybe we go home and we're like, dude, worship was on it. Ryan and them just led us in worship. And then we go home and it's like, it's gone. It, uh, if a good word spoke or is a, Worship that was that was saying, and we were in the presence of it, but it never changed. And I don't want that to happen. Uh, I don't think there's a person here that doesn't think that God speaks through Pastor Chen. And if He's speaking through it, there's a reason why He's speaking. And we need to rebuild. We need to receive it. We need to be there receiving that. And whenever the worship team is up here worshiping. I mean, I'm with Mike. That song this morning, that there's another one in the fire. Oh my goodness. That song, that rocked me. That was that was beautiful. But I can be outside watching them worship or I can be a part of it. I can sing a song without actually being worshiping God. God doesn't want us to do that. So I'm going to ask this question before, uh, after I ask this question, we're going to be in Exodus 19 and we're going to be in Exodus for a little bit. But, uh, my question is this, what if I told you that next weekend, next Sunday, Pastor Chad and Ryan and the worship team are going to be at another church with a bunch of different people doing an awesome service, or just, it's just going to be a big, powerful service, and a lot of people are going to be there worshiping and, and just speaking God's word, but we're still going to have the church open on Sunday, and there'll be some of us here just sitting in God's presence but there's not going to be a message and the worship team won't be here, but we're just going to come and we're going to sit in God's presence. And I don't want you to answer this because, as our youth group kids usually know, I ask questions that are kind of a setup, and that's what this is going to be. It's going to be a setup. So don't answer it out loud because then you'll be like, oh, I wish I didn't answer that. So I'm going to give you a heads up. It happens. But I just want it in your mind as we go through this message, what would you do next Sunday? Would you go to where... Pastor Chad and Ryan and all these great people are doing this service that is hopefully going to glorify God, or would you would you go to another church thinking, man, like, you know, if, if we're not going to have a regular service, I'll go to this other church. I really enjoy this other church. Or would you stay home thinking, like, that would be a good day to rest? Or, or would you just come and sit in God's presence with us right here? You know, I just want you to think about that. What would you do? It's very important to know what you would do. And it, uh, 
And be honest with yourself. What would you do? So, but I don't want an answer with that yet. I want you to just keep that in your mind. Exodus 19, uh, it's Moses who, you know, he, uh, if anybody we ever see the present, in the presence of God in the Bible, we always see Moses. We've seen that his face change, you know, and everything about him. And, and actually God called him to be in his presence. That's pretty neat to me. God would call him to be in his presence. And uh, so in Exodus 19, it says, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai, after they set out from Rephidim. They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. I've often heard it said that, you know, God likes to take us to the desert. That's not what I'm teaching. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. How about that, Bob Taylor? Carried you on eagles' wings. That's a word kind of Bob gave me this morning. So, uh... Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. It's a promise. Do this and you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We know as believers of Christ we are priests. We are a holy nation set apart for Christ. We know that. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so, so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord that the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answers back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and put their trust in you. And Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Well, there's this great thing presented to the people. Hey, you guys would just follow me, set yourself apart for me, you'll become priest, you'll become my holy nation. And all of them said the sinner's prayer, and we're good to go. Because that's what we do as Christians. We say the sinner's prayer, and then we're good to go. It's easy whenever you're put in a moment to say that's what we want. That is what we want. We want to be set apart. We want to be priests. We want to be a holy nation. We want to be the servants of God. We want to be the ones who get to make it to heaven. We want to be the ones who do this. And we say this prayer and we're like, yeah, that's what I want. But oftentimes what we want doesn't translate into who we are. And that's where these people are. They want it, but are they willing to do it? Are they willing to, to enter in? And uh, so Moses goes back down and he prepares the people, he consecrates them, he sets them apart, he gets them ready. And then we see in uh, verse 14, it says, After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and washed their feet. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves. 
on the third day, abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was a thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the camp trembled. Guaranteed, if you knew God's presence came down on that mountain, whew, that'd be powerful. They've seen the power of God. They've seen Him destroy the Egyptians. They've seen what He can do. And they trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke bellowed up from, from it like sat, like like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. I cannot imagine how beautiful that would have been. To actually see the glory of God descend in cloud form, and then Moses starts speaking to God, and God responds. We know that Moses goes up and he begins to speak to him. The mountain was already separate. The, mountain was, the, the people of Israel were told by God through Moses that they couldn't even approach the mountain. They couldn't touch it. Anything that was going to go up this mountain or cross the barrier to the mountain was to be put to death, whether animal or human being, except for Moses. You've seen God can do it. So they're all sitting around. They're watching the presence of God. Moses is able to enter into the presence of God. And they're stuck down below. The Lord replied in verse 24. He said, the Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. I'm ecstatic if I'm Aaron. God first called Moses. Now he's like, hey, now you come up with me. I wanted to point something out to you that it got revealed to me as I was reading these the other day. Uh, we never actually see that I know of God speak to Aaron. God always spoke to Moses of what Aaron should do. And I think that's very important to understand. God didn't speak directly to him. When Moses was called to from the burning bush, Moses came out and he's like, I can't do it. And God's like, all right, bring Aaron along. God's up, or Moses is up on the mountain with God, and God said, hey, go get Aaron and bring him up. But he told Moses to come up. He called Moses up, and then he sends Moses back down to get Aaron, right? So we see all these things of, before this, Moses, or Aaron's getting set apart as the, as the uh, chief priest, Sons are becoming priests. We see all these things. But it's always God speaking to Moses about what Aaron's going to do. It's always that presence. And it, it's kind of like... It's kind of like maybe Aaron wasn't ready to speak to God, I guess you could say. I don't know what the whole reasoning for that is, but he never... God never speaks directly to him that we see He said, uh, go down and get Aaron, bring him up with you. 
But the priest and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them that. So I'm thinking if I'm one of these people and Moses is up on this hill, I could have done two different things up on this mountain. He's up there. I could have done one of two things. I could have sat down there thankful that I don't have to go up there because I'm in fear and trembling of what the Lord is and who he is. Or I could be down there crying and wishing I was up on that mountain, wanting to be in God's presence. They see God's presence. They're right outside of God's presence, and they get to worship outside of God's presence. Why Moses goes up and gets to be in God's presence. They're all on the outside watching. We know he was anointed as the leader of the people, that he was set apart, and he's the one who speaks for the people. Kind of like we have a pastor. He's anointed and set apart to hear God's word and to share it with us. And we can either sit down at the edge of the mountain by Pastor Chad keeps speaking to God, or we can go enter in with it also. We can enter in with God. We don't have, there's no barrier anymore for us once we accept Christ. But we have a pastor who's willing to go up on that mountain and speak to God and then come back and speak to us. But that's not what God called us to do. He didn't tell us not to enter. He actually told, tells us to enter the mountain. So. Uh, Exodus 32. So this was uh, a little bit later. It's what, 13 chapters later. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, back up there speaking in the, on the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, wait a minute, get the significance of that. God called Aaron up on the mountain. But as Moses is up on the mountain speaking, where is Aaron? He's back down at the base of the hill. God calls us into his presence, and then we're sitting back down at the base of the mountain. Aaron's at the base of the mountain. Moses is at the top of the mountain. Talk about getting sideswiped. Somebody got distracted. It said, uh, the people gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us as this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. We don't know what has happened to him. So they know that God used Moses to bring them up out of Egypt. They know Moses is up in God's presence. That they're asking Aaron, who should be up in God's presence, to make them a false god. Right? They're asking him to do this. We want you to make us a god. Because we don't know what happened to the other guy we were following who worshipped God. They also. I don't know how you can know that God and Moses brought you out of Egypt and then turn your back on. But it's easy for me to say that from the one reading the story instead of being the person in the story because God's brought me out of a lot of things when I turned my back on it. He's brought me through a bunch. I couldn't begin to tell you where I'd be at if Jesus wouldn't have brought me out of my misery and the person I was before. And then one day, I just turned my back on him. And I do something I shouldn't do. 
can't tell you how many times I've done that. But it's easy to read in the Bible when people do something stupid and be like, man, those guys are idiots. They're stupid. And it's true, because I am. I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. I do a lot of dumb stuff. And it, that's why God speaks these words to me, because I do a lot of dumb things. And it, uh, But he tells them that. You know, he's like, they, they come to him, they're like, yeah, we're going to forget about the guy up there on the mountain talking to God with his presence, and we can see God's presence. Get that? They see God's presence. They're at the place where God's presence is at. Like, we can be in church where God's presence is at and never actually get the point that we're in God's presence in that. That he's the one that did such great things for us. Aaron answered them, Take off your golden gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took them, took what they handed him, and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. No, Moses, they just said, we know Moses brought us out of Egypt. With God's help, he brought us out of Egypt, but we don't know what happened to him, so we're going to make this false god, fashion it into a calf, and then say it brought us out of Egypt, even when we know that's wrong. I mean, they just made this thing. How can they think that this thing they just made did something good for them, changed their lives? It takes a long time, I imagine. I've never, through earrings in the fire, melting them down into a furnace and melting them down and then fashioning it into a calf. Actually, if I did it, it would probably just still look like a blob of gold because I don't have that kind of talent. But somebody who's an artist who can make a sculpture would probably tell you it's not easy to do. It takes time. Just like any false idol we make in our lives, it doesn't just happen by throwing it in a furnace and it doesn't just happen. We have to fashion this. We have to fashion the things in our lives that are going to hold us back. We have to fashion the things in our lives that we're going to worship. We have to fashion the things in our lives that we think are there for us, that are comforting us, the things that we put our, our faith into, I should say, because oftentimes we know we're miserable in these false things we have in our lives, but it's where our faith is at. Oftentimes people are like, oh man, my depression is too heavy. Stop putting your faith in your depression. Oftentimes people are like, my struggles are hard. Stop putting your faith in your struggles. You're fashioning a, a, a calf. You're sculpting right now. Whenever you start putting your faith in the things you're going through, the troubles you have, whenever you're, you're putting... I'm tired. When you're putting your faith in, oh, I'm just tired, I need to sit here. I'm tired, I need rest. Oh, man, God wants me to do this because... I just can't do this anymore. And we're putting faith into these things. If I just rest for a while, I'll be okay. Well, you won't. You'll be the same way when you wake up. You'll still have the same issues, the same problems. People who drink, they drink to get rid of their problems. The only thing is it just lays them, and they usually grow bigger. Same thing with drugs. We fashion things in our lives. We mold them into false idols. And it takes time. It happened just by throwing it in the furnace once. And I would imagine, I, I, I did do ceramics whenever I was in high school. And being an art, artist, kind of artist I am, I'm sure everything looked great and wonderful. I'm sure my mom told me it looked great, I don't know. But it, uh, 
I remember I made, a, the only good thing I remember I made was a hand that was holding the earth. Only it looked like a weird looking hand and it had a white ball because I couldn't paint. And it, and it was a green hand. Why it was green, I don't know. But I made this thing and it probably took me two weeks to make it and I'm not an artist trying to make it look good. And clay's easier to mold than, than gold because gold you probably had to keep heating it up. If you ever seen them work with iron, they got to keep putting it back in the forge and heating it up. So we got to keep heating our stuff up to make our false idols. We have to do it. And Aaron's supposed to be up in the presence of God, but he's down making false idols for the people. That he's supposed to be the priest of. And he's not doing it. If you're wondering, like, well, that's different. He's called to be a priest. The people around you who are either young in their faith or have no faith are looking at you as a priest of God the priest of Christ. They're looking at you in that way. And when you start fashioning your idols, they will start worshiping your idols with you. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow we will, be, we will have a festival to the Lord. Not to the true Lord. We're going to have a festival to our calf. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink, and got up and indulged in revelry. They were having a great time with their false god. Such a great time. It, uh, we're going to worship it. If you, ever, if you ever think about the things you struggle with, you often worship them. It, uh, we are worshipers by, by heart and by who we are. We worship them, sit, uh, sat down and eat and drink in it. We, we sit in our misery a lot of times. And then we see that, that God gets mad. And he says to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and have said, these are our gods, Israel, who brought us up out of Egypt. They started sacrificing to their idols. How much have you sacrificed in your life to, to please your idols, the things you're going through? I've, uh, I've been blessed to hear Mike do a lot of teaching in life. One of the teachings Mike did, it always sticks with me, is the uh, teaching on the word passion. And, uh, Mike taught about the word passion because oftentimes, especially young people, but but everybody, we think we're passionate about stuff. Oh, music's my passion. Uh, baseball's my passion. Football's my passion. Working out's my passion. Sleeping is my passion. It happens, trust me, it happens. I've, I've had people tell me sleeping's their passion. That is okay. The word passion means to suffer for. What are you willing to suffer for? We often say God's our passion, but are you willing to suffer for God? Are you really to sacrifice things in your life to God, but are you willing to sacrifice to maybe make a concert or to watch sports or to, to go shopping? You know, it's a. You ever want to know where your heart is on giving? Figure out what you're willing to spend on yourself and then realize what you're willing to give to God. 
And you really quick, you quickly realize what you're willing to sacrifice. And, uh, trust me, I know I'm the same way. It's not a knock on you. These are things God speaks to me. But they, they began sacrificing themselves to these idols. They became their God. Even though they're still around the presence of the real God, he's up on the mountain, Moses is speaking to him. Even though we come here and God's presence show up and Pastor Chad's been speaking to God and, and speaks to us, and sometimes we're just feeding our own idols while this is happening. But, uh, which is odd because I didn't have any thought process of speaking about idols, but I think we need to hear it. And, uh, in verse 9 he says, uh, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, and I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. I am so grateful God doesn't say this, that he doesn't actually do this. But there have been many times I've messed up, and God looks at me and he's like, all I ever think is, oh my goodness, he has to want to kill me right now. Because that's what I would do. I would have so much anger for the things I do that I'd be like, I'm done with them. I can't do it. Like I, when people start messing up around me, it's like, man, I just want to slap them. God doesn't do that. And he knew at this point he wasn't going to wipe these people out because he knows the beginning and the end. But it does portray how he felt in that moment. And then Moses says, please don't do that. You brought these people up out of Egypt to show the world how great you are. God brought us where we are at to show the world how great he is. You're not here today because of something you did. You're here today because God brought you. He brought you out of your muck and mire. He brought you up to be an example to show the glory of God. He wants other people to see who you are, what he has done. Right? Because if he was just going after you, you would have said your prayer, you would have turned your heart to God, and then he would have brought you home because he didn't need you anymore. It's not just about you. It's about others seeing what God is doing. God wants people to see you reflecting Him. He wants Him to be seen in you. How about that? I love that. I love that whenever I go out, God wants people to see Him in me. He wants people to look at me and see Christ. He doesn't want me to go out and proclaim that I, I, I see Christ, that I belong to Christ. He wants people to see it. We can say we worship God, but people see what we really worship. So after he pleads with God, it says, Moses turned and went down the mountain. We're about to see a pretty powerful thing happen here as Moses comes down the mountain. And it has nothing to do with Moses. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back, were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. This has nothing to do with my message, but how awesome would it be to be carrying tablets? Like, people love autographs. This was actually what God wrote. He engraved it. I can't imagine. I don't even know, I don't even know what that would look like mostly because I don't know the language at the time, but 
I mean, you're carrying something God wrote out. I mean, we carry the Bible, and it's the same way, but that was straight from his hands. I don't know. It gets me passionate when I see that. But here's what's a miracle. They're coming down from the mountain. Moses is coming down from the mountain. Because God sent him back down to talk to the people. Aaron didn't come up the mountain because he's down being with the people instead of being with God. It says, when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. What is Joshua doing there? He wasn't the one God called up the mountain. But he wanted to be up that mountain. and God let him go up that mountain. It was Aaron, God said, bring up this mountain. And it's Joshua who's up the mountain. In God's presence. Which sounds like for a long time, because people are like, man, they've been gone a long time. Joshua got up that mountain because he wanted to be up on that mountain. Moses brought him into the presence of God with him. He didn't get up there on his own, though, because sometimes we need people to help us get in the presence of God. Not in their presence, but in God's presence. Moses replies, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. He comes down and they're worshiping this false god, this calf that they just created with their own hands. They're worshiping They're singing to it. They're praising it. They're giving it all of its love and attention. It's all going to this thing. Think about that. Where's your love and attention going to? And we see that Moses gets angry. He breaks the... The calf up, you know, he breaks the tablets too, but he breaks the calf up, he grinds it into powder, puts it into water, makes them drink this bitter stuff. Thinking, there's no way I'm drinking gold water. Except for Moses just came down from the presence of God, and I'm sure he was glowing like he does when he comes down from the presence of God, and they were probably scared to death. So they did it, because that would have been fearful. Then he says to Aaron, in verse 21, what did these people do to you that you led them to such a great sin? How would you answer that? What happened that you would be doing these things instead of being in my presence? What, what happened here? How did this happen? And I am fearful that one day God will ask me that. Eddie, how did you get to where you're at? How did you get there? You were doing this stuff, you were in my presence, all this stuff was happening, then boom! Worshiping false gods, you're creating gods, you're leading people the wrong way. Yet you're still coming around my presence and people think you're my people. I think, oh, God, I don't want that. So what does he say? He said, I put all these earrings in. They wanted a God, so I threw it in the furnace and poof, out comes a calf. That's what he said. It just happened. I don't know how, it just happened. I threw it in there and it happened. That's what we say. I don't know how I got to where I'm at. Just one day I woke up and, and I'm sinning. I woke up and I have this false God in my life. I just woke up and it happened. But it didn't just happen. You just didn't throw it in the furnace and poof, here's a, a cat. I guarantee you this. I promise you this. You can try it. I promise you, you can take all the gold earrings in the world, put them in the largest furnace in the world a million times and never would they come out shaped like a calf. Never. I guarantee it. I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I'd bet my uh, my year's salary on it. I don't know. I would bet a lot of things on it that you could not do that without making a form and doing all kinds of things and sculpting it, as he said. It just doesn't happen. It's impossible. 
But that's what he tried to convince Moses. I don't know. It just happened. That's what we do. We make excuses. And uh, I knew this is going to be a very unpleasant message, really. And, uh, that's what I was fearful of. Is there, there's a lot of negative stuff here, but I promise this ain't a negative message unless it's hitting you in that way. And then I'm not sorry that it's negative. Glad God could speak to you. But it's going to turn positive, I promise you that. It'll turn positive if you want it to turn positive. Exodus 33, which is the very next chapter. They've already moved, and God, God wasn't going to go, and Moses begs for it. And, uh, in verse 7, it says Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. I like that. I like that he didn't put the tent right in the middle of everything going on. He put it a little bit away, so that way they had to get away. He had to get outside of the camp. He had to get out away from people to get into God's presence. I love that. Sometimes we just need to get away from what's going on and get in God's presence so we're not distracted. Anyone, remember they're set apart, they've been consecrated, so they're all priests and they're God's holy people. So it says, anyone inquiring of the Lord. There's your one catch. You had to be inquiring of the Lord. Would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents. They would watch him go by. They'd be sitting at the entrance of their tents and they'd just watch. As Moses goes out to this tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay on the, at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Oh, that'd be awesome. I mean, I love sitting in God's presence. I love when I see the glory come down, but to see Him in a cloud form, like you see a visual presence, oh, Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. So they understood that God's presence was there. They understood. But who was allowed to go to the tent? You're going to answer that. It's not a setup. Who was allowed to go? Anyone. Anyone who was inquiring of the Lord was allowed to go to that tent. Anyone was. But where were they at? They were at their tents. They were at their entrance. They're watching Moses enter into the presence of God. And they're praising and worshiping that Moses is there and that God's presence is down there, but they never enter into his presence. Blows my mind. Give me the option. I'll be there. I hope. I hope when God's presence is there, I want to be there. I hope I'm running out of my tent, tripping over stuff, trying to get there as fast as I can to be in God's presence. That's what I hope. It says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. This is where it gets good. Moses would return to the camp. Moses was 
you know, he had stuff to do. He's like, all right, I'm going to leave God's presence now. I got to go. I got to go do the things God put on me to do. But his young age, Joshua, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave that tent. He did not want to leave God's presence. Now, mind you, when Moses leaves God's presence, he's still got the glory of the Lord around him. He's walking with the Lord at all times, hopefully. Josh said, I ain't leaving. You ain't getting me out of God's presence. So when we leave here on Sunday, sometimes we've got to leave. We should be like Moses, and we should be doing what God calls us to do, and leaving when God calls us to leave. Man, I'd much rather be sitting in God's presence. Are we more like the people who are watching other people worship, enter into God's presence? Or are we more like Joshua who doesn't want to leave God's presence? Because when God came down, he said, I'm going to be there. I'm going to sit in God's presence. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be right there in God's presence. And whenever Moses leaves, I don't care. I don't need Moses to sit in God's presence. He may lead us, but I don't need Moses to be in God's presence. When we come here on Sunday, God's presence comes down, and Ryan and the worship team, and last week, last three weeks, Tracy, whoever's leading worship, they get in God's presence. Woo, God's presence is strong when they're in we have the ability to step into God's presence and worship and to praise. Or we can just stand back and we can watch God's presence and save people in presence and worship the fact that God's presence is here but never actually enter into God's presence. There's a possibility of that happening in our lives. And you may be thinking, like, how do I know if I'm in God's presence? You're not. Because as Mike shared earlier, whenever the joy of the Lord comes upon you, and the Holy Spirit is there, you know it. You feel it. You're being poured into. You have the ability to sit here and sing and worship the fact that God's presence is here, or you can step into God's presence and worship. And we get to do that daily. Because we don't have to go on a mountain. We don't have to go into a tent of meeting. We don't need Moses to enter this area, even though we have a great pastor and Pastor Chad who enters into God's presence and he tries to invite us to enter. And sometimes he's got to go out and do pastor things. That means we've got to leave God's presence. And we can go anytime. Anytime we're inquiring of the Lord, we can be in his presence. It's a powerful thought. I can't get this through your head, but God can if you let him. If you're not grasping this, I, I just ask you to pray right where you're at real quick that God will reveal to you what he's trying to say to us. He wants us in his presence. He doesn't want us just doing ministry. He doesn't want us speaking good things. We can go out and share the gospel to a million people and all million get saved. It doesn't mean we're in his presence. It means God is doing a work through us. And to God be the glory. But it doesn't mean we ever enter in his presence. I can go to a hundred church services in a hundred days. And that mean that just because God's presence can come down to every one of them, people can get slain in the Spirit, and I can still be outside of His presence. Because I'm not entering in. Something's keeping me from entering in. So it goes back to the question I asked earlier. If, if Pastor Chad, Ryan, and the worship team are out at this big event, they're doing something. I don't what they'd be doing. 
or they're doing a great service. Maybe it's a revival, I don't know. Is your first thought to go follow them and do what they're doing? Or is your first thought to be like, oh, I know another church I can go to, or is in your thought, I'm going to stay home and rest? Or do you just want to come and be in God's presence? What's the point of a church service if you're not in God's presence? And I want you to get that there's a big difference in me saying it's not wrong to go to a church service where Pastor Chad and Ryan and all of them are at and they're doing some great stuff and you're going to enter into God's presence. But if our thought process is, is we're going to follow Pastor Chad and Ryan because that's what they're doing and we want to be a part of what they're doing and we forget about God's presence want to be in God's presence, that's the problem. There's a big difference in going to church and being in God's presence. It's a big difference. It's a, it's a powerful thing. It's a, a, big, a big thing. Uh, so I want you to think of that too. Why do you come here? So you can fulfill the weekly duties of coming to church or is it because as good Christians we, we gather together and we come to church service or Man, I know Pastor Chad every week is going to speak something powerfully, and I know the worship team is going to bring some amazing worship. Or do we come here because God's presence is going to be here, and that's where I want to be? It's a big thought. I, I get convicted all the time when I think about this stuff. What my motives are for things, and is it God's presence I truly want to be in? Luke 10, 27 says, uh, He answered. This is after they asked him what the greatest of the commandments were. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. love God like that? You know, as Christians, as Christians, oftentimes, we think, yeah, oh yeah, I said the Lord's Prayer. You know, I read my Bible. I go to church. I help build the children's room. I help do this. I help do that. We can give a list of everything we've done for God. But do we really truly love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength and with all of our mind? I mean, that's a lot of love. But is that truly where your heart is? Are we going through the motions of being Christians? Are we loving God? Is it God we're here for or is it just so we can be Christians? Just so they can call me. I want to be a Christian. I want to go to heaven. I'll tell you something. If you don't want to be in God's presence here, you're probably not going to want to be in heaven. Because that's what heaven's about. It's not, a, it's not this glorious place you're going to go to with fun activities and all this. It's going to be fun. It's going to be amazing. But only because that's where God's presence is. That's what heaven's about, is God's presence. I had a 
An atheist once asked me, he said, hey, couldn't there be a heaven for atheists? I said, that makes no sense. Makes no sense. Heaven's about God's presence, not about the things you do. But couldn't there be a place set apart for him? Oh, there is. There is. And it's going to be miserable. Even without the lake of fire, it would be miserable because God's presence will not be there. That is why so many people walk around in misery here on earth, including Christians, is because they're not in God's presence. That's why we do it. We're not in God's presence. We don't long for it. We don't hunger for it. We don't thirst for it. We should hunger for God's presence in a way that it hurts when we're not in God's presence. Literally should. Because if I go, if I go, if I miss a meal, I'm not like a lot of you. If I miss a meal, I'm a baby. It starts hurting. I start like getting weak, and I'm like, oh, I gotta eat. But if I miss time with God, I don't quite get that. Way. It takes me a while to a point of whenever I'm not around God to where eventually I'm like, oh. I'm really missing something. If I miss a meal, I know it immediately. It should be as soon as I'm missing God's presence, I should know. I should be hurting. I should be miserable. You guys should be like, what is wrong with you, dude? You look sick. That's what would happen if I go a day without eating. Anytime I fast, I that should be the same way with God's presence. Man, I thought I had a lot of time. Now I know how Chad feels. But I don't, I don't care because uh, we're going to finish this out. And uh, I want you to think about the deeds of Christians. I talk about are we doing things just to be called Christians? The word Christian, from everything I could find out and everything I could study, and I want you to check this out because I could be wrong because, well, I'm not perfect. I, uh, I mess up sometimes. Sometimes I go really deep into stuff, and there's a lot of things you can find out of things. This I didn't have to go too deep into because all I had to do was search. But the word Christian is used three times in the Bible. Three times. Twice in Acts. And I'm going to give you the, the places. Maybe. Okay, yeah. Acts 11.26, Acts 26.28, and then in 1 Peter 4.16 are where the words Acts are Christians used. The word Christian was not used by Christians. That is what was interesting. The word Christian means Christ ones or like Christ or Christ followers. So whenever people in that time period would see those who look like Christ, they would be like, that's a Christ one. That's somebody who looks like Christ. But nobody was proclaiming they looked like Christ. Nobody was proclaiming they belonged to Christ in that way. They did say they followed him. But they were not Christ ones. It was nothing that they had to put on themselves, others saw it in them. Peter even goes through and says, if you're being persecuted as a Christian, as you're being persecuted because people see you as a Christ one, see it as joy. It tells you how to deal with it. That's what he says in 1 Peter. But they never proclaimed it themselves because oftentimes we proclaim ourselves as Christians and think, oh, I belong to Christ. I'm good. And we get lost in that. But yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm good to go. I like that the first century Christians did not do that. Christ. Because if anybody could have, it would have been them. I mean, who was closer to Jesus and Peter, James, and John? Nobody. Nobody's that time for That's the best friends. 
What they said was, I'm a follower of the way. That's what they proclaimed. I'm part of the way. I'm a follower of the way. People were like, who are you? And they'd be like, oh, I'm a member of the way. They didn't have to proclaim that they followed Jesus. They were just part of the way. And we know in John 14.6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that word where they proclaim they're a part of the way, uh, I don't know if it's 100% true, but I'm going to tell you what I've read from pretty reputable theologians at the time period uh, that know things like this, and they said the reason why they called themselves away is because that's what Jesus proclaimed. They were a part of the way. Now, are we walking Jesus' way? Are we walking in the way God's called us to? Are we a part of that path? Are we doing what God's called us to do? Are we in His way? Or are we just trying to look like Christ? There is a difference. I can fulfill all kinds of laws. I can do all kinds of activities. I can I can preach to a million people. And I will look at the one who's following Christ. But in the end, is he going to say, I never knew you? In the end, is he going to say, I don't even know where you live? Because he wasn't even part of my home. I was out doing his stuff, and never when I was at home was I ever in his presence. Never did I make his presence my home. Always our uh, church model was always that Pastor Rod always shared was this is a place where we make a home for God's presence and make his presence our home. But do we actually do that? Is his presence our home? Where are we living? Are we living in God's presence? Is that our home? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's pretty powerful. That's why Jesus said, I never knew you. I don't even know where you're from. Yeah, but people called me Christian. I did a lot of things. I don't know you, though. They may have thought you looked like me, but you're not. Because he was about his father's business. Acts 24.14 says, However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they called a sect. Notice. Luke's not calling it a sect. He's calling it the way. It's not a religion. It's not a denomination. It's not even just a people group. They're just in the way. They're following the way that Christ did things. They're going the way of Christ. How about that? Are you going the way that Christ is going, or are you just doing a bunch of stuff that look like you belong to Christ? I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men. Actually, this was Paul speaking these things. Luke wrote the book, but he was speaking them. That there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. There will be a resurrection of both. We're going to either go to... That place that Christians call heaven, or we're going to go to that place that atheists hope is a heaven. We're going to go to one or the other. 
I'm going to move this through pretty quickly here because uh, we have been a while. So I'm actually going to paraphrase this in Acts 2, starting verse 36. It's pointed out that uh, that the people persecuted Jesus. They're like, how do we become followers? It says, uh, what shall we do? And, and Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Notice he didn't say, say a sinner's prayer, and start doing a bunch of deeds, go to church, read your Bible. He said, repent, turn away from the things you've been doing, get baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, in God's presence. Repent and be in God's presence. That's what we got to do. It's not about just saying a prayer and we're good to go forever because I can say a million prayers and never repent. I can do it. Trust me, I have. I used to think when I was younger that I could justify the things I did by just showing up to church. I would say a prayer I can continue doing what I did because I paid my penance. That ain't what he said. It's not about just prayer. It's about changing your lives. And I'm going to close it out. Ryan, you're good to come up, buddy. I'm going to close it out with Revelation 3, verse 14. It says, uh, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. The ruler of God's creation, I know the deeds that you are neither I know your deeds that you are neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That's a scary thought process. If we could be Christians that aren't on fire for the Lord and aren't seeking his presence, so he's gonna to have to spit us out of his mouth. That's a possibility. That is a scary possibility. The reason why I've actually looked at this over time period, I know Mike has too, and it uh there's a reason why God wants us to be hot or cold. Because if we're hot, people are going to see God in us, they're going to see Christ, they're going to see us as the Christ ones. We don't have to proclaim it. They're going to see we're in the way. We're walking the right way. They're going to see it. And they can proclaim that, wow, they must belong to Christ. I don't have to do it. I just have to walk the right way. I can proclaim the gospel while I'm doing it. And you should. You should share your testimony because your testimony is going to change lives. Or if I'm cold, I'm not proclaiming God at all. People can see my misery. They can see how messed up I am and realize I don't know who he's living for, but it's not good. It's easier to take something that's cold and change it than it is to realize that something's lukewarm and it needs change. If you had a hamburger and it got a little bit lukewarm, you would eat it. But if it got cold, you're going to microwave it. You're going to heat it up. So when you're sitting in somewhere that's cold, you're ready for change. But when you're sitting in somewhere lukewarm, you're comfortable. You're like, oh, it's all right. I ain't bad off. 
sometimes we can do that with our walk. When we're not in the presence of God, we can be like, yeah, but everything's all right. I'm okay. Things are fine. Not until we get to that point that where we were completely out of God's presence. That's where those people were. They were right there near where God was at. They thought they were okay. They thought they were all right because they were lukewarm. They were like Joshua who said, I got to be up on that mountain with God. They were lukewarm. He had to spit them out. We can go to a whole lot of other people in the Bible who were cold and God was allowed to heat them up. Set them on fire for the Lord and they do great things. Uh, you can go ahead and bring down Elijah. I'm going to pray. Uh, I can share more, but I'm not going to. I don't think I have to. Because I think God's going to... I think He has revealed things to us, but I think... I'm just going to pray and we're going to worship. Hopefully you can enter into God's presence. If you need prayer, I'll be up here. I know Keevan will be up here. We'll have all kinds of people up here to pray with you. So hopefully we can just enter in God's presence. Let's not be so quick to leave God's presence. Either. Be like Joshua. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving until you tell me to, Lord, or until your presence lifts. Then I'm going to still walk with you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, Lord. God, I pray that you would just resonate with us, Lord. God, I pray you would help us to understand what you were trying to speak, Lord. Not by the way I was speaking it, God, because I know I'm in your way often. Lord, I pray we wouldn't walk around thinking we are Christ-like, that we would not walk around thinking we need to do a bunch of things to look like you. But instead, we would just follow you. We'd be in your presence. We would be going your way with you, Lord. And then others could recognize it. Let's not be caught in, up in just doing church or doing good deeds or doing things for you, Lord, because that does not mean that we're in your presence. God, I pray you would just search hearts right now. God, let us know if we would rather be in your presence or if we are just we are lukewarm and going through the motions. God, I pray you would just set us on fire right now. God, that we'd be so hot in this church, Lord, that everybody would know that we are Christ-like, that we are followers of you, Lord. Search our hearts right now. Begin to change us, Father. Lord, help us enter into your presence right now. Jesus' name I pray. to go. Uh, I'm going to close this in a prayer real quick. And uh, Please don't leave here without it being in God's presence. Please don't leave here. Don't leave here the same as what you came in here. God didn't bring us here to walk out the way we came in. I'm going to pray. Father God, I pray you would just be with us, Lord, as we leave this place. God, as we go throughout our, our day and our week, Lord, that you would continue to continue to persuade us, Lord, to convince us that your ways are good, Lord, that you would continue
continue to speak to our hearts, that you would keep us close to you, Father God. Pray every morning we wake up just wanting to be in your presence. God, I pray there be not one person leave here, God, unchanged by you, Lord. I pray that they would I pray that they would long for more, more of you. Lord, keep everybody safe, Lord. Give them opportunities also, God, to to be in your presence throughout this week. Help them to long for it, God. Change our hearts now. We thank you, Jesus.